0: Case Number (coughs) 22-3772, All States Refractory Contractors, LLC versus Martin J. Walsh et al. Oral argument not to exceed, 15 minutes per side. Brett Schumate for the appellant, you may proceed.
1: Good morning.
2: Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the court, Brett Schumate, on behalf of All States. If I may, I'd like to reserve four minutes for a vote. Very well. Your Honors, in 1970, Congress decided to let OSHA Make the hard choice of deciding whether and how to protect workers in virtually every business in America. Congress's only instruction to OSHA was that it could do whatever is reasonably necessary or appropriate to keep workers safe. That extraordinary delegation of legislative power is unconstitutional because it allows OSHA to do whatever it believes is appropriate to keep workers safe. The Supreme Court's non-delegation precedents require Congress, to provide meaningful guidance to agencies in the form of an intelligible principle. If the Supreme Court has never upheld a delegation so broad and so unique as to allow an agency to do whatever it believes is appropriate. In this case, OSHA is not, uh, Congress did not, um, OSHA is not filling in the details of a scheme that Congress created. Instead, OSHA is creating the scheme itself based on its own policy views about what safety measures are appropriate in its vast domain of workplace safety. If the power to issue appropriate rules contains an intelligible principle, then it's hard to see what statute would ever violate the non-delegation doctrine. This morning I'd like to highlight three textual clues in in the statute that we think show Congress improperly delegated its legislative power to OSHA.
3: Do you agree that the significant risk threshold requirement applies beyond the toxic substance situation that was in benzene and cotton dust?
2: No, we don't believe the significant risk limitation that OSHA has adopted um, applies to safety standards. OSHA has adopted that limitation from the benzene plurality opinion. The government's argument is that a majority of the Supreme Court adopted that limitation. How do you understand, and I myself am confused about this,
3: where did the benzene court find the significant risk? So is it, is it from the definition, I take it, or is it the toxic substance part of 655? Is it some combination of both of them? I'm, I'm searching for where this comes
2: from. Well, it doesn't really come from the text anywhere, Your Honor, but I think the, the Supreme Court said it comes from the word safe, which was in the purposes of the statute. Um, the plurality of the court, only four justices reached that interpretation. Five justices in, in Benzene didn't agree that the statute requires a significant risk require, uh, finding by OSHA to promulgate the health standards. But, but setting that aside, even accepting OSHA's argument that this is a limitation, we don't think it does anything to meaningfully constrain OSHA's discretion. One, because OSHA has unlimited discretion to identify what risks are significant. So it uses its own policy discretion to decide this risk is significant, we want to regulate here, or this one is not. And then even after it makes that finding, the significant risk limitation doesn't tell OSHA where to set the standard after it finds a significant risk. OSHA can do whatever it deems is appropriate to to resolve that significant risk.
3: But do you agree if you have a threshold significant risk requirement or necessity requirement or whatever it is, can't that constrain kind of the playing field that the agency is is on? I mean, isn't that some limiting principle or is any threshold requirement not really a limiting or intelligible principle?
2: Well, I think that... The the court somewhat addressed this point in the Tiger Lily case, which is not a non-delegation case, but it's a, a challenge to the eviction moratorium. And that statute involved the threshold finding that the secretary had to make a necessity finding before taking measures to combat communicable diseases. And the court said that that statute did not authorize the eviction moratorium. And in fact, if it did, that would create a non-delegation problem. So I don't think a threshold finding is itself sufficient. Even going back to Panama refining and Schechter Poultry, I believe one of the two statutes in the National Industrial Recovery Act required the president to make a finding before taking some action. That's not sufficient. What you need is an intelligible principle to guide the agency's discretion when it decides to regulate. So a threshold finding of necessity, of, of uh, significant risk, all it does is allow an agency to use its own policy discretion that courts really don't have a business to second guess to, un, to take whatever measures they deem reasonable, reasonably necessary or appropriate. And so here, if I can focus on the text of the statute, what it actually says, There are three, I think, textual clues that indicate Congress improperly delegated its legislative authority over workplace safety. First, the only limitation that OSHA, that that is in the text of the statute, is the the definitional phrase, reasonably necessary or appropriate. But the delegation itself, in section 655b, contains no limitation or mandatory language at all. Second, the definitional phrase is disjunctive. Is
3: that, by the way, is that argument about Wh- the placement of the, of the alleged intelligible principle in a definitional section or in the delegation itself, in the other cases, and your f- friends on the other side cite all of the Whitman, Yakis, NBC, I mean, you know, you know them all, okay. Do in, are in those cases? Is there a situation where the intelligible principle is found in a definition section as opposed to in the delegation?
2: I don't know, Your Honor. My, my I can't say for sure, but my understanding is that the intelligible principles in those cases are generally going to be in the delegation itself. For example, look at this this statute in particular. This uh, section six fifty five contains four rulemaking delegations. In a B, which is at issue here, B5, the health standards, and in C, which is the emergency standards. Each of, uh, except for B, all the other three delegations contain uh, mandatory language, OSHA shall do something, and then specific standards. So each of those delegations in A, B5, and C contain an intelligible principle limiting OSHA's discretion. Here, by contrast, Subsection B has none of that. There's no mandatory language. It says OSHA may regulate or deregulate. OSHA can promulgate or revoke. And there's no intelligible principle itself in the delegation. I'd highlight B5. Think about the breadth of,
0: of the phrase in the public interest. I mean, how, how do you distinguish that? I mean, the breadth has been approved, right, time and time again. That's your argument today. Is, is it not...
2: Yes. In the public interest. I mean, goodness. Public right? interest, however, the courts, uh, other court, when they've distinguished those cases, have said the the phrase public interest is bounded by the statutory context. So for example, the FCC and NBC is approving uh, licenses. And, and we know what the purpose of the Communications Act is. It's to prevent interference, to grant licenses that serve the interest of radio broadcasting. So, I think a delegation like public interest, yes, while the language may be broad, the the delegation itself, the power that the agency have is relatively small bore. So
0: we have to read them together to decide whether or not this offends your your, whether your argument argument should prevail. We should look not only the breadth but then context would be argument.
2: I think context does matter, according to Whitman, where you have a very broad delegation, you need more specific standards. So in the FCC licensing context, for example, that's a relatively narrow delegation that focuses on a specific industry. But OSHA is regulating nationwide. It's regulating virtually every business and industry in America, not just the tobacco industry, not just uh, the telecom industry. And even, I think, the word appropriate is broader than regulating in the public interest because public interest is... Why,
3: why does it matter that if, if, if all I'm doing is regulating railroads, I can do whatever I want. If I'm regulating the entire economy, then there's more restrictions. But wh- why does the kind of the, the playing field matter in terms of how, what would be allowed or constitutional?
2: Analytically, it, it shouldn't matter in a non-delegation challenge. All that should matter is whether there's an intelligible principle. However, Whitman d- did say in the context of a significant rulemaking authority under the Clean Air Act that where you have a delegation that um, authorizes an agency to exercise significant fa- power, you need more significant constraints on the agency.
3: But that, so that gets back to my question about a threshold requirement. Can, can you use a threshold requirement like significant risk to funnel it to the point where it is analogous to, the, to radio stations or railroads or whatever it would be. Because once I make a significant risk finding, I'm not, I'm not regulating the entire economy, I'm regulating the entire economy that has significant risks of safety or workplace, whatever it is. Why doesn't that work as kind of a way to get at that problem?
2: I don't think the the threshold finding solves the problem because OSHA still has complete discretion under the statute uh, whether to regulate or not. The statute is discretionary, so OSHA can look at something and say, you know, we're just not going to do anything. Or it could say, yeah, we think that is a significant risk. And once it makes that threshold finding, which you as judges wouldn't really have a basis to, to second guess other than making sure that they reasonably explain their decision then OSHA can do whatever it wants after it makes this finding of significant risk, or put it in a different context, necessity. Uh, that wasn't sufficient in, in the Tiger Lily case to, for the court to uh, ignore the fact that if the CDC had that breadth of authority, that would be a non-delegation
4: problem. So you're, you're saying that there must not be any discretion? Or, uh, if there's any discretion left to the agency, it's unconstitutional?
2: No, not at all, Your Honor. We, we, I, I, we're just saying that Congress must provide an intelligible principle.
4: The exercise or discretion?
2: To to regulate or not regulate, to choose to act. So, for example... Um,
4: they, they may not make discretionary decisions? Is, they, that, is, that, is that what you're arguing?
2: No, they, they may make discretionary decisions. Take um, health standards under subsection B5, which we would recognize does contain an intelligible principle. OSHA, it says, shall regulate to the extent feasible to protect workers from... Um, uh, harmful conditions and that would be uh, we would acknowledge that to be a intelligible principle but that's different than saying OSHA do whatever you think is appropriate to keep workers safe. That is a vast domain. OSHA has too much discretion because Congress hasn't provided boundaries to guide the agency's discretion. I see my time is up.
3: But... Do you, I'm sorry, do you think that there's a feasibility requirement that applies?
2: We don't think there is. We We think Feasibility is in subsection B5. OSHA has adopted a feasibility requirement, but even accepting there is one, we think we still win because all feasibility does is tell you what the regulatory ceiling is. It means OSHA can't require the impossible or OSHA can't put businesses out of out of business, but it doesn't tell you anything about uh, where the floor is or where the standard should be anywhere from the ceiling to no standard at all. So... It's-
3: does OSHA's adopting of a feasibility requirement here run afoul of Whitman's suggestion that the agency essentially can't cure its own delegation problem?
2: I don't think what OSHA did is improper, but I think you as judges have to interpret the statute and not allow OSHA to constrain itself to solve the non-delegation problem. That's it,
4: the statute's been on the books for over fifty years. Why is the challenge just being brought now?
2: There have been other non-delegation challenges to this particular statute. And
4: they've been rejected by the Ninth, but with the D.C. Circuit and the 7th Circuit? That's correct. Okay, so why? what brings this case 50 years later to the 6th Circuit?
2: Well, the Supreme Court has indicated and in, uh, several justices have indicated an interest in reconsidering the non-delegation doctrine. Okay,
4: but till several justices have indicated an interest in reconsidering something, well, we cannot reconsider Supreme Court precedent, can we?
2: No, and I'm not asking.
4: I mean, so, I mean, aren't you, are you just setting this up for the Supreme Court? Is, is that what we're no, doing? No, Your Honor,
2: we want to win this case in this court and we think we can win Well,
4: we this. have to follow the existing precedent even if justices are questioning it, right?
2: That's right, and there is no controlling precedent from the Supreme Court upholding a statute so broad and so unique as to issue whatever rules you think is, are appropriate. That is far beyond what the Supreme Court approved in Whitman, for example, where the statute in in Whitman, the Clean Air Act provision says, EPA shall regulate air quality standards that are requisite to protect the public health. Requisite means uh, sufficient, but not more than necessary. Here, the statute says reasonably necessary or appropriate. EPA has a mandatory duty to set the air quality standards. OSHA has a discretionary duty to, to regulate or deregulate. And OSHA is setting rules that govern Uh, that are generally applicable and govern private conduct, EPA is setting standards for states to follow. So we think those are significant distinctions with Whitman.
4: Okay, very well. Any further questions at this point? Judge Cook, Judge Nelbandi. All right, you'll have your uh, four minutes rebuttal. Good morning.
1: Good morning and may it please the court, Courtney Dixon for the government. Judge Nelbandi, I'll start with your colloquy you're having with plaintiffs about benzene. The Plotty in that case was interpreting the reasonably necessary or appropriate language in 652.8 that applies to all OSHA safety standards. The court interpreted that language in the context of the overall statute, statutory background, its purpose, and it recognized that Congress did not delegate authority to agency to delegate authority to OSHA, excuse me, to ensure absolutely risk-free workplaces. Rather, Congress delegated authority to the agency to address significant risks of harm.
3: But there's a lot of discussion in benzene about how 655 B5, whatever the toxic substance part, works with the definition section. Um, The government's position in that case was that the definition section was no constraint at all from what I'm reading. Um, But the court said no. When you put the two together, we get, we spit out feasibility and we spit out significant risk um, as a threshold requirement. I'm not sure that that addresses what we've got in front of us today.
1: The court in benzene rejected the government's argument that the definitional section was didn't have its own substantive purpose. And every Court of Appeals to have considered the question has recognized that the benzene court adopted the significant risk requirement, and courts have applied that for the last half century to safety standards as well as health standards. Just the next year in the cotton dust decision, the Supreme Court adopted the significant risk requirement for a majority of the court. It was a plurality in benzene. But then in cotton dust, the court additionally emphasized the limitations of technological and economic feasibility. And again, and for the, the last, what do we
3: do with cotton dust? I mean, there's that footnote—was it 32 or 31—that has that odd discussion about leaving it to another day about whether one of the, the provision is it works its own restriction or, or in combination with the toxic substance. I mean, it just seems to leave it open to, in my mind. I understand the lower courts have said, "Okay, fine, significant risk, you know, feasibility, whatever it is." I'm not sure the court, the Supreme Court has said that. Am I reading those? I mean, I, again, it's footnotes in this opinion, but I mean, I, I'm not sure I'm getting a lot of guidance there.
1: In Cotton Dust, the Supreme Court said, any standard that was not economic and technologically feasible would a fortiori not be reasonably necessary or appropriate under the act. And that case illustrates why technological and economic feasibility are meaningful limitations they're not merely redundant I'm just saying as that, that in
3: that case in the situ- I, I don't that wasn't a health and safety standard case was it i mean it cotton was cotton dust was a health standard right but but it was dealing with i, I, I guess i'm just i'm not sure that what what cotton dust and the benzene case we're getting at is necessarily you know this case
1: The Supreme Court was looking at the whole statute in both of those cases, and that aligns with how the Supreme Court has considered other delegations. Judge Cook, you had mentioned, the Supreme Court has always looked at delegations in context, not just words in a vacuum. As the Fifth Circuit stated in the Big Time Vapes case, this non-blinkered mode of statutory interpretation generally bodes very well for delegations. The Supreme Court has never just plucked out single words in a statute and said, okay, this is all that there is. The statute is unconstitutional. It's always look at the statute in its context against the statutory background that Congress was considering and the purposes in the statute. That's what the court was doing in Benzene. That's what the court did just last year in in NFIB. And those cases, Your Honor, belie plaintiff's suggestion that there are no meaningful limitations in this statute. And the approach that the Supreme Court took in those cases is just a full 180 from the approach that plaintiffs asked this court to take here plaintiffs asked this court to hypothesize about any potential delegation of authority to assume that Congress gave OSHA the authority to do all of those things and then declare the statute unconstitutional on that ground. That's never what the Supreme Court has done. I think Benzine goes a long way to answering this case and Judge Griffin, as you had mentioned, the DC Circuit and the Seventh Circuit have both rejected non-delegation challenges that are identical to the challenge that plaintiff press here.
3: I mean, this, I, I hear all that, but I suppose I'm looking at this provision and it just seems broader than any other of these provisions. I mean, I, I, I don't, I understand the public interest can be broad, but there is a contextual limitation in those cases usually. It's much more the, the you know, we're talking about radio stations or, or I mean, some limited kind of area. Here, I mean, I. My understanding is, you know, OSHA covers every employer. They can do, I mean, it, it, it's just a vast scope. I mean, I don't even know. I, you all may, I mean, you may assert the power to regulate people who work from home. I mean, I, I, so, I mean, that would cover basically everybody in the country.
1: I have a few responses to that. First, I mean, with respect to the hypotheticals that plaintiffs point out, I mean, we know from cases such as NFIB and benzene that if OSHA ever tried to regulate in one of those ways, the first question would be one of statutory interpretation. And the court would consider the statutory delegation in its context against background principles of congressional delegation. The court could decide in that case whether Congress really did delegate authority to the agency. Again, in the non-delegation cases, the Supreme Court has never adjudicated those on the basis of pure hypotheticals. It's looked at the delegations in context. With respect to national broadcasting, the delegation there in the public interest, the Supreme Court recognized in that case that the commission's powers were expansive, and it recognized the wide-reaching role that radio played in society at the time. That was in 1940, this was a huge medium at the time. In Yakus, it was the authority to set fair and equitable commodities prices. In Whitman itself, the court recognized that the national ambient air quality standards there affected the entire national economy. Nonetheless, Congress was not required to specify how necessary is necessary enough, how hazardous is too hazardous, it recognized that Congress gave discretion to the agency and that yes, the agency could draw lines.
3: But I, I guess that's right, but I'm curious. I mean, it says necessary or appropriate. We assume both of those words have independent meaning. I mean, what does appropriate mean? I mean? What's the limitation on, I mean, that's no limitation at all, right?
1: No, Your Honor. and. In benzene and cotton dust, as I was just discussing, those are specific interpretations of the reasonably necessary or appropriate language in their context against the background principles of the overall act. Again, we don't look at those words in a vacuum and the Supreme Court has repeatedly stated that in its non-delegation cases. The court in cotton dust also explains that reasonably necessary or appropriate can do work on its own inappropriate cases. The court explained in a footnote again there that if OSHA were to promulgate a standard to address a significant risk that could be addressed with say one mechanism to address the hazard, but OSHA promulgated a standard that required five, the reasonably necessary appropriate limitation might there kick in to say no, OSHA has to do cost effective standards and OSHA has recognized that in the last 50 years as it has promulgated safety standards. If there are no additional questions, I'm. Happy to rest
4: on our briefs. Well, this is a facial challenge, right? It's not that's applied, and that's that's the context we look at at the beginning. All right. Any further questions at this point? Nope. I'll,
1: I'll
4: pipe up, Judge Novakian. All right. Thank you. Very much. All right. Rebuttal.
2: Thank you, Your Honors. Just a few points. Starting with the text of the statute, the, the text of the statute says re- the definitional phrase "reasonably necessary or appropriate." That means OSHA gets to choose. It can choose to decide. Uh, to issue rules that are reasonably necessary, or can decide to choose uh, to promulgate rules that are appropriate, even if they're not reasonably necessary. And so my colleague can't really, hasn't provided you know any um, guidance on what the word appropriate means, but it means proper. The plain language of the word appropriate means proper. So OSHA can issue whatever rules it deems are proper. Um, let me just address some of the limitations. Um, I think the fact that OSHA has struggled over the last 40 years to interpret the statute and so have courts, I think is a strong signal that Congress has delegated its legislative power to the agency. First, the OSHA's position was there are no limits on its regulatory power. Then it adopted the significant risk limitation. Then it was feasibility. Then it was several other limitations. I think the fact that it hasn't settled on a meaning of this uh, ambiguous phrase. But, but
0: case law narrows it, doesn't it, Counsel? I mean, that's as applied in facial. That case law has narrowed that. Each time we know benzene, you know, that we, it's worked through. Your, your case here is saying we just hate the words. They're not, they, they're too, too broad and they're, they give too much power. But it does get narrowed. You don't have a case that says here in our, you know, in our particular industry, you're just trying to attack the. I, I get why you're doing it, but it's it's tough road to hoe. Um, only two, isn't it? Am I right? Maybe only two cases, non-delegation cases, have been um, viewed favorably, and they were either wartime or something that that's peculiar to those odd circumstances as opposed to yours.
2: I think our case is a lot like schechter Poultry, where the delegation there in the National Industrial Recovery Act was for the president to issue codes of fair competition. Right. And here, the delegation to OSHA is to do whatever they believe is appropriate to keep workers safe. And like the delegation uh, in the National Industrial Recovery Act, the president and OSHA, they, they both have the power to issue generally applicable rules governing private conduct nationwide. That's different than the public interest standard at issue in NBC, where the government is issuing licenses. It's not issuing rules governing private conduct. There are no further questions. Happy to stand up. All right, thank you, council. Case will be submitted.